All right, you ready to get started today? Happy Thanksgiving. I hope everyone has uh, great plans and you're going to have a great, uh, great week. And uh, Lisa and I are. We're going to have our whole family together again. So that's twice in one year. Uh, that's phenomenal. So um, we're really looking forward to that. I remember when we were raising our children, Tyler, of course, was our first. And so he was the, the trial and error baby. You try everything out. But one thing I would do when Tyler was just about two and three years old, I would go into his room to wake him up, and I would say, Tyler, it's a brand new day. And he would just look at me and have this big, giant smile. And before long, he began to try and repeat me, and he would say, it's a brand new day. <laughs> and Tyler still, now in his 30s, wakes up every morning, and he just is excited about life. And he's busy, and he's always going and doing things. And if we begin to look at life as a brand new day every day, then uh, that starts us off in the right direction. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalm. We're going to dive right into uh, this portion of what we're going to read today. And also, we're going to look at a verse in the New Testament. We're in Psalm 118. We're going to read a little bit longer verse than what we normally do. But I want to get to a, a psalm here that talks about really the ebb and flow of life, but that God is the consistency in all of it. So we're in Psalm 118, we're going to start reading at verse number 1, and we're going to end at verse number 24. So hang in there with me, right? Here we go. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. Can anybody say amen to that? When hard-pressed... I cried out to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Of course, in the King James and New King James, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We see in this psalm the ebb and the flow of life. 
We're talking, the psalmist is writing about, hey, I had some struggles, but I overcame. The Lord showed himself gracious to me. The Lord tested me and even chastened me severely, but he didn't give me over. We see that is a wonderful picture of what we experience in life, the ebb and the flow, the ups and the downs, and yet God is the consistency in everything that happens in our lives. He is the one that never leaves us and never forsakes us. He makes the day. He makes every day. This is truly a great day. This is the day the Lord has made, and he never makes two days exactly alike. And he has a monopoly on making days. You ever thought about that? No one else can make a day. No one else has the power to say, hey, I'm I'm gonna make a day. Only God can do that. And every day that he makes, and he has you in that day, he has something for you. He's gonna lead you and guide you, protect you, chasten you if need be, Discipline, all of those things are necessary for our lives. But we see in this psalm that God is the consistency in our lives. He makes each day, and therefore, he also ends each day. He's the one that draws every day to a conclusion. And when every day ends, then we need to let that day end. Have you ever known someone, because I know none of us have ever done this, but we probably know someone who has taken the trouble of yesterday into today? We carry over the the difficulties of yesterday, and we go, I, I need to carry that one more day. And then one more day turns into two more days. But God says, wait a minute, I made the day start, and I made the day stop. Leave yesterday's troubles in yesterday. Don't try and take on tomorrow's trouble today. Tomorrow hasn't even gotten here yet. And so he makes every day start, and he makes every day stop. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. He says, I did a lot of bad things, but I'm forgetting about those things because the grace of God has consumed me. The grace of God has come over me. And so this is a new day. Paul understood it was a new day for a new missionary journey. It was a new day for a new opportunity to minister to people who needed Christ. So if God makes every day, we must understand that God also makes preparation for the days yet to come. Prophecy is what determines the validity of the Bible. It is the only holy writing in which we find prophecies that are spoken about now, but not fulfilled for even hundreds of years. It is the prophecy that tells us and reassures us this is truly God's word. And so God plans days well in in advance, but he makes them one at a time. So if that be true, then we must do two things. We must be aware and we must be prepared. We must be aware that God is the one who is guiding and leading our lives, and we must be prepared for what he has for us every single day. I think that's a good question. Are you aware that God has orchestrated your life every day that you've ever lived? The good days, the bad days were all orchestrated by God. But then are we not prepared as Christians for everything God has for us? Are we prepared for this day? Are we prepared for tomorrow? We must be aware and prepared. First off, I'll just share with you two things really quickly. Number one, we must be aware 
of great day killers. I believe God wants every day to be a great day, even the difficult ones. But there are some great day killers. And I think you could sum up great day killers in three words. Here it is. Play it safe. To the Christian, a great day is not when we play it safe, but when we stretch out by faith and we walk and we live by faith. You see, to the Christian, we've stopped trying to play it safe because we have a God that never leaves us. We have a God that provides everything for us. We have a God that's more powerful than any other thing, any other government, any other power, any other person. We have that kind of strength who's undergirding us, so we don't have to play it safe. Some would say, well, I'm not going to laugh because they might not laugh with me. I would submit to you, go ahead, don't play it safe, laugh anyway. Even when you're in a crowd, laugh. Some would say, I'm not going to give because it might not be enough. I might not have enough left over, but don't play it safe, go ahead and give. Some would say, I will not forgive because they might do the same thing over again. I would tell you, go ahead, don't play it safe, forgive, and let what they do be between them and God. Some would say, I'm not going to hope because things might get worse. If I put my hope out there, but it doesn't come about, it doesn't happen, what am I going to do then? I would say, keep on hoping in the Lord. Never give up hope because God has made every single day. You see, some people try to steal second with their foot still on first base, and that doesn't work. When you're playing it safe, you never leave first base. But somehow you got to get off of first base and say, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to move forward knowing that God has made this day and he's going to take care of me. So we steal second, leaving first base. We move around. We live by faith. We walk by faith and we war by faith. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. It's that abundant life that God calls us to, not a life of safety, holding everything close to us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober. The devil roams like a lion looking for someone to devour. It's the devil is the one who's looking to push you down. God is saying, I'm here to build you up. The devil is the one who's trying to snatch the life out of you. And God says, my constant flow of life works in you. And that's what makes this day a great day. How many of you would rather have a great day than a terrible day? All right. And that's what God has for us. He says, the devil wants you to have a horrible day. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God's come to pump life into us and through us every single day. So first, we've got to be aware of great day killers. But secondly, we've got to be prepared for great day thrillers. Great day thrillers. Let's turn to the New Testament now to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is where we find a group of people. We call them the Corinthians. That was that small but thriving church there in the city of Corinth that Paul went and ministered so powerfully to and wrote two letters to. And we see a beautiful picture of a group of people who were living life large, not because they didn't have problems, not because there weren't difficulties, but they decided our God is bigger than our difficulties. 
Our God is stronger than whatever we're facing right now. And so he's going to pull us through. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read starting in verse number 1. Paul writes, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Amazing in this situation. You see, Paul on his missionary journeys was trying to connect these believers together. And there were some who were having it somewhat easy and there were some who were in great distress. The Macedonian churches were in great distress. Here's what the Bible says about them. They're in verse number one. It says they first off had grace. The first thing he says, this church, the churches in Macedonia were given the grace of God, that power of unmerited favor. When you've been given grace, you understand you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It's not like it was a paycheck. It was just simply a gift. It was unearned, unmerited favor, the favor of God. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the favor of God is on you. The favor of God is in you. The favor of God is flowing through you. And that's what they experienced, this favor, the grace of God. But then he goes on to something else, and he says there in verse number two, in the midst of a very severe trial. Now, we don't know what that trial was, but it was something that was evidently a part of that entire region, or it was just simply because they were a part of this new group called Christians. But it was a severe trial. In fact, it was a very severe trial. You you know what happens when people go through trials? You know what they're tempted to do? They're tempted to go back to those three words, play it safe. Well, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't, we don't know. This could happen. That could happen. This could be. That could be. And so we, we tend to want to play it safe. And Paul is saying these guys had grace. Then they had a very severe trial, but then he says they're overflowing joy. Now, that's good joy, isn't it? Or don't you, now, don't y'all just love being around somebody that's really joyful and that joy just bubbles over? Uh, uh, well, I do. I, you know. Yeah, you just, you just, they're just good to be around. That's the kind of people you want to invite over to your house, right? Because, like, you know, share some of that with me, you know? It just bubbles over. They just have a lot of serotonin or something. I don't know what they have, but they've got a lot of something. And this just bubbles over. He said they had grace. They had severe trial. They had overflowing joy. And look at the third thing they had, the fourth thing. They had extreme poverty. You can do the math on that one. Grace, severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty. In every one of our lives, we face trials, difficulties. Some of the trials we experience are severe. 
but God is stronger. Some of the things that, that we go through are heart-wrenching, and it feels like we're not going to make it, but God is stronger. God will never forsake us. God will never leave us. God will never leave us hanging. He will, ne he will never say, well, when you get through that, you and I will connect again. He says, no, I'm with you right now. I'm with you all the way. They had extreme poverty. I don't know of anybody in here that's having extreme poverty. We do live in America. Amen, Pastor. That was good preaching. That was a good word. We, we've got it good. But that doesn't mean that we're, we're all just financially secure and everything's wonderful. I get that. But maybe it's not the financial issue that you're dealing with. Maybe there's some other thing that you're dealing with. Maybe it's not extreme poverty. Maybe it's not poverty at all. But there is a poverty that you're dealing with. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's peace. Maybe there's a, a, a stronghold of unforgiveness. These guys were experiencing weird stuff. They had severe trial and extreme poverty, but they also had grace and overflowing joy. Here's the good news. The grace and the overflowing joy did what? It bubbled over. It worked out of them and covered over the severe trial and the extreme poverty. It didn't make those things go away. It didn't make the severe trial go away or the poverty go away, but it just covered them over. You see, they were the ones who gave money to Paul for the church at Corinth. They reached into their purse and they set aside money constantly for the church in Corinth. But they were having a severe trial and they were having extreme poverty and yet they continued to give. They were giving to people who they had probably never even met, a city that maybe they had never even visited. And yet they were saying, you know what? In the middle of this difficulty, a severe trial and extreme poverty, what we also have is grace and overflowing joy. And that's what bubbled over and covered over all the other things. They were able to give and they continue to give. It just welled up and covered over all of those other things. And what was the result of this? It says there in the next verse that they had overflowing generosity. They had enormous, rich generosity. You see, this is the thing that led Jesus to endure the cross. The Bible tells us that it was the joy set before him that caused him to endure the cross. Hebrews 12, 2. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He despised its shame, and now he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. You see, when you have an overflowing joy, when you have an understanding that God has made this day and God is faithful in this day, then you can say, yeah, I've got a trial, I've got difficulties, but my great, the grace of God working in me, the joy working in me is going to override all of those other things and I can be generous with my forgiveness. I can be generous with my joy. I can be generous with relationships. I can be generous with encouragement. And I can be generous with my purse, with my checkbook. I can be generous because God's got this. This is a great day. They didn't look at it like an obligation, but yet this is a great opportunity where in the middle of all of our difficulties, we can move forward. That's what caused Jesus to endure the cross. He said, this is horrible. This is bad. He hung on a cross for your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world. And yet he said, 
for the joy set before me, I endured it. Because there's joy. He said, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day of salvation that the Lord has provided. And so Jesus didn't play it safe. He didn't have to play it safe because there was too much on the line. Your salvation, your eternal security, and my eternal security was on the line. He wasn't about to play it safe. But in the middle of severe trial, in the middle of a deficiency, we tend to have the experience of wanting to play it safe because we feel like life is just being squeezed out of us. We feel like our blood pressure is, is just reducing. It's, 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 it's like the oxygen to the brain is being cut off. I remember when we had some training here at the church for our security team, and we had some professionals come in and train the, the, the guys who were in our, on our security team. Thank you for all those who are on our security team doing a great job. In case you're watching on Facebook and you have any nefarious plans, we have a team. <laughs> and I remember one of them had talked about, you know, you, one thing you can do with a person that's causing trouble is, to, to put an appropriate chokehold on them and you can cause them to pass out. And he, he said, do I have any uh, volunteers? Eric Massengill said, I'll do that. <laughs> he choked Eric right out, <laughs> fell off. I was thinking, do we have enough insurance for this? <laughs> when we're going through difficulties, though, that's what we feel. We feel like, man, that just that's, that's oxygen deprivation. And we feel like, I've got to play it safe. I've got to pull back. Severe trial, a, a deficiency of poverty. I'm going to play it safe. We see this in the life of the disciples, trying to play it safe before the cross. Before the cross, the disciples displayed so many times trying to play it safe. In, uh, in Mark chapter 10, James and John come to Jesus, and they, say, they had a request. They said, listen, Jesus, we're, we, we we're going to ask you to do something, and we just want you to say yes. You know, anytime you go to God like that, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So Jesus did not say, sure. He said, what do you want? They said, well, I tell you what, when you come into this kingdom you're talking about, we'd like for one of us to sit on your right side and one of us to sit on your left side. If you can work that out, then that'll all be great. What, what were they doing? said, look, we don't want to go through all this persecution you're talking about unless we've got a guaranteed spot. I mean, we don't want to, like, live by faith or anything. We want to play it safe. We, we, we want to pull back. In Luke chapter 9, <laughs> same guys, James and John. Um, Jesus and the disciples are going to a, a town of Samaria, the Samaritans, and they did not receive Jesus well at all. And James and John said, uh, Jesus, would you like for us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? <laughs> I think I, I'm not qualified to tell you what Jesus thought in that moment, but I'm thinking maybe he thought I'd rather you convert them than destroy them. <laughs> Which is what he said in Acts chapter 1, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and See, we want, we want to play it safe. That's before the cross. The disciples wanted to play it safe when Jesus had been teaching a very large crowd, and it was getting late. And uh, so the disciples went to Jesus and said, look, you need to send all these people home. It's getting late. They're going to travel. They need to get something to eat. Send them home. 
And what did Jesus say? He said, you feed them. You see, when we play it safe, we miss out on miracles. If you're playing it safe, you may be missing a miracle. Jesus wanted to show them, if you play it safe, okay, but that's not what I've called you to do. I've not called you to play it safe. I've called you to be on the edge. I've called you to walk by faith. See, the disciples were saying, send them away. Jesus says, no, let them stay because I'm going to show you how a multitude of people can be fed with physical food supernaturally. God wants to meet your physical needs in a supernatural way. We, we say this a lot at Hope Crossings. Everyone wants a miracle. We just don't want to need one. But God orchestrates specific situations where he says, yeah, it would not be wrong to send them away and say, y'all go home. That's not a wrong thing to do. But Jesus had a better plan, and that was to show them a miracle. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. But as long as we're playing it safe, we will not see the full power that God has and he wants to display to us. But man, if we'll not play it safe and we'll step out in faith like Peter did on the water while the rest of the disciples were playing it safe, I, I want to be like that guy that says, what's it like to walk on water? What's it like to see this happen? What's it like to see that happen by God doing something extraordinary and supernatural? Before the cross, the disciples were just usually playing it safe. But after the cross, it was much different. Peter spoke up on the day of Pentecost, the same one who had denied Jesus three times. The day of Pentecost happens. There's a group in Jerusalem going, what are y'all doing? This is, this is odd. And Peter stands up and says, well, this is what was prophesied in the book of Joel. This is what happened. Jesus is the Christ. He was crucified. He rose from the dead, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden they go, well, what, what do we need to do? He says, well, repent. And 3,000 people are born again on that very day. You see, Peter went from a transition, the disciples went from a transition of playing it safe to playing it risky. They said, we want, to see what, we want to see God do something great. And that means we've got to step out and do something different and allow God to do something different. Peter and John, just in Acts chapter 3, we're, we're going up to the temple to pray. And here's a, a, a lame person. He was a beggar. He was carried there every day to, to ask for coins, money, so he could live, so he could be fed. And what did Peter and John do? He said, we don't have any silver. We don't have any silver. But what we do have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. That's not, you know, when you, when you tell somebody, say, get up, that's not playing it safe. But look what happened. The man got up. Not only did he get up, he started walking. Not only did he start walking, he started running. Not only did he start running, he started jumping up and down. That's a miracle. And you see, you get a miracle when you say, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to step out. This is the day the Lord has made. He has provided an opportunity for me to see him work mightily in my life and in someone else's life. I'm going to live this day to the fullest. We read in Revelation chapter 1, how the disciple John, 
is on the island of Patmos. Patmos was, uh, from what I understand, a real rocky place. It was filled kind of with lizards and snakes and criminals. That's what, it's kind of the Alcatraz. You know, they just kind of went, okay, y'all go live there. And they literally would just send people out there. I mean, history tells us they tried to kill John on more than one occasion. And so they just said, let's just throw him out there on the island and let whatever happens happen. The Bible says something interesting. John is writing in Revelation chapter number one, and he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus. And I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. He didn't say on the Lord's day, I was so upset because these people put me out here on this rock. I don't know why they did that. No, what he said was, I'm out here on this rock, but I'm in the spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit that inspired him and, and wrote through him that great book of Revelation. Not the revelation of the devil, not the revelation of the Antichrist, not the revelation of tribulation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. John wasn't playing it safe. When we play it safe, that stranglehold just continues to consume us. But when we break out of that and say, wait a minute, God doesn't want to be strangled by the enemy. God wants me to live in abundance, to live this day to the fullest. That's when we suddenly begin to realize, okay, God, you've got more for me today than what I thought. You've got opportunities for me to see you work greatly. You see, severe trials and extreme poverty are the, the, the groundwork for God to do something great because he's also giving you grace and joy, and those cover over the trial and the poverty. And that's when we realize faith is obedience in the face of my obstacles. But there are people here today who are saying, you know what? I am before the cross. In other words, you have not yet allowed the cross of Jesus Christ to work in your life. And it's natural for you to just say, okay, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm, I'm going to tuck it in. I'm just, I'm just going to play it really close because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But all of a sudden, we begin to see the Spirit of God working in our lives and we begin to hear Him say, hey, it's going to be okay. I've got a plan for your life. I want to save you and redeem your life. And I've got more for you. I want to show you more than you've ever even imagined. And that's when we turn our life over to Christ and we go, okay, I am forgiven. Thank God I am forgiven by the grace of God. And then the cross of Jesus Christ works greatly in our life. There are people today watching right now on Facebook, and God is speaking to your heart. He's saying, yeah, let the cross of Jesus Christ work in your heart. Place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And that's when you're going to know what it's like to live life to the fullest, not playing it safe, but to say, God, I'm willing to risk everything I have because I have grace and I have joy. That's what God's plan is for our lives today, to live in grace and joy. And that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ as your Savior? It's not a matter of just kind of knowing about him, but do you know him as your Savior? Has the cross of Jesus Christ worked greatly in your life to eradicate, forgive, wipe away all of your sin and to just usher in the Spirit of God living within your heart? That's where real life begins. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? The most important question that anyone could ever ask you is that very question, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You can today. 
It's not a matter of jumping through a bunch of hoops and doing a bunch of stuff. It's just simply saying, Jesus, I realize I have sinned and I've not been, been following you. I've not been obedient to you. I can't be obedient to you. I can't because I was born with a sinful nature. That's, that's who we all are. But Lord, would you please forgive me? Come into my life. Forgive me, eradicate my sin, take it away from me. I can't get rid of it myself. Lord, thank you that you promised if I would call on the name of the Lord, I would be saved. And that's God's plan for your life. And then all of a sudden you can just say, you know what, now I get to live life freely. Now I get to see God perform great miracles because I've been born again. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for my sin and the sin of this world.